Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to each, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness if you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you want to come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for you than for me, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Lord, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? What do I have to lose? What on earth is holding me back anymore? I remember asking these very questions in a sort of a really complicated and chaotic time in my life. I'd been dumped once again. The where I was working was completely uninspiring. And I was getting a little bit sick and tired of seeing so many of my friends that I grew up with in my area moving on and leaving me behind in the area that we all grew up in. What was left? What was holding me back? I had this idea that popped into my head. I thought, you know what, I've been working in hospitality for quite a while and I kind of like it. Why don't I take that elsewhere? Why don't I apply for one of those really fun, cool tourist island jobs that I've heard so much about? You know, Hamilton Island or somewhere like that. Why don't I leave what I've got here where this just seems to be nothing and, and seek out the promise of something but out there that I, I may not know what it's going to look like, 
but surely it's got to be better than the nothing I have here. This is the second week of our series through conversion stories, looking at, all the di- looking at some different stories and examples of conversions in the Bible. Last week, we had a look at Rahab, and David pointed out that in her example, we see that everyone actually has a worldview, and it's no simple task to shift someone from one worldview to another. This morning, we are looking at uh, Ruth's conversion, Rahab's was sort of very big picture and philosophical, whereas Ruth's is quite down to earth, near to home and emotional. Her disruption leaves her with nothing left to lose and nothing to hold her back. Ruth is set in the time of the judges, a very dark time in Israel's history. Israel was fragmented, it was very violent and full of chaos. Before we're introduced to Ruth, we meet Naomi, an Israelite woman who is married to Elimelech, and she has two sons. There's a national famine happening at the time, causing significant disruption for her and her family. Family, uh, Famines usually mean one of two things in the Old Testament. It could either mean God's judgment, or it could also mean that God is about to do something new with his people. Either way, Naomi and her family have to eat. So they need to do something about it. So they leave the promised land to look for an uncertain promise in the land of Moab. In Moab, they would be outsiders, in another nation, at their mercy. Not to mention wearing the shame of being the people that leave the promised land to seek provision in enemy territory under another god. But if one disruption wasn't enough... Naomi's husband dies, and now Naomi is left as a foreigner in a foreign land with no rights, grieving her husband. The only hope Naomi had were her two sons, which fortunately married Moabite women, which is where we meet Ruth. Orpah and Ruth marry Naomi's sons. Happy ending, right? Everything's going to work out. Well, actually, not so much. Ten years later, her sons die, leaving not just Naomi on her own, but now Ruth and Orpah as well. So what on earth are they going to do? The original problem that Naomi had is now times three. Then Naomi hears that actually the famine in Israel has finally come to an end. The Lord is once again providing for his people. And with nothing holding them back, she and her daughters-in-law head back to Israel. Naomi knows that her daughters-in-law will be seen as outsiders. They may not actually find themselves in a better situation than the ones that they're leaving. So Orpah takes Naomi's urging and warning to heart and heads back to Moab. Ruth, however, responds with, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth is in her own disruption at this point. Her husband has passed away. And it seems that she has nothing else to cling to except perhaps the relationship that she has with Naomi. Which seems like just enough. Just enough of a connection for her to take a big leap of faith. Because after all, why not? What has she got to lose? What is holding her back at this point? Disruption is what shakes up our worldview. 
It's a significant shape-up, just enough to help us see ourselves and ask some questions and take us out of the regular rhythms of life. Ruth's disruption has just been enough for her to see the need and desire to follow Naomi, whatever the risks may be ahead. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you from me. The disruption that Ruth has experienced has made life with another nation and under another God plausible. Much more plausible than turning back and going to Moab. And as Ruth's story steps down the mission pathway from disruption now to advocacy, Ruth's story has two examples of advocates. There's Naomi, and a new character will be introduced to soon, Boaz. See, Naomi is definitely acting as one of God's representatives, an advocate. Ruth's earliest example of God's people and who God is. But she's just, she's not the greatest of examples, to be honest. It wasn't a great move for Naomi to have left the promised land because, after all, God did deliver his people to the promised land. Not to, mention, to, not to mention the fact that there is a famine going on. Whatever the reason may be for the famine, it is for her and her family. And it's just poor form culturally to go back to a nation that they have gone through already. And it wasn't all, great, all that great either that, you know, as understanding as it might have been, that in her desperation, she allowed her sons to marry non-Israelites, people from other nations. Considering Deuteronomy 7... God, God forbids the Israel from marrying other nations. Naomi also gets really bitter towards God. She sees that everything has happened, the loss of her husband and her sons is all a part of God's punishment on her. And she has a really simplistic idea of God here. God does bless and he does punish but it's not because of solely that either people do right or wrong things. He does so in line with his plan and his purposes. Our God disciplines and he guides. Boaz, on the other hand, is a stark contrast to Naomi. And I can't help but reading this scene and just seeing an image of one of those period piece dramas where, you know, Naomi, the poor outsider in the field picking up the scraps, Boaz, the young, handsome, wealthy field owner, catches her eye across the field. It's the stuff of Jane Austen films, really. Now, Boaz isn't just a good example of an advocate. He's kind of the best example you could come across. He doesn't just let Ruth keep collecting scraps. He gives her a place to work among the other women in his team. He doesn't just give her a place among the workers, but he also offers protection for her as well. He also doesn't just judge her in the situation that she is in. In chapter, 10, in chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you, you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
Boaz stands out because he he displays God's kindness, his faithfulness, his grace. Boaz is an example that highlights for us these markers of what keenly, keenly makes up an advocate, which stands out so much in our selfish and uncertain world. Anyone can make a good impression, right? Some people, though, just seem to stick in your mind, and no matter what you do, you can't help but get remove them from your mind, and you certainly can't help but share that experience with other people. But the funny thing is, though, the people that often stick in our minds in that way aren't the people who are loud and self-confident. It's the people who are humble and caring that seem to leave this kind of impression because they stand out so much in the world that we live in. After Ruth meets Boaz, she goes back to Naomi and they just can't help but talk about him. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi, to her her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She asked, that man, she added, that man is our closest relative. He is one of our guarding redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until my harvest, uh, harvesting of all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women to work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. Boaz is more than just an advocate. He's what's assisting Ruth in connecting into a life among God's people. He's, he welcomed and included Israel, Ruth to be a part of the Israelites. He offered kindness and grace. Boaz is also a great example to us here at DAC as we assist to try and connect people into our community here. Culturally, as Christians, we too often fall into the trap of using big, broad terms that we all know and want to affirm, but we all disagree with when we actually ask each other what we mean by them. A classic example to me is the idea of being a welcoming church. It's something that we all value and want to aspire to, but I guarantee if I was to poll everyone here today, we would get a lot of very different examples of what that means. Fortunately for us, Boaz gives us a really good framework to work with. The first thing we notice is that Boaz takes time and is intentional. Boaz is a wealthy man. It would be completely understandable if he had ordered somebody to remove Ruth from the field. But he first takes time and asks the overseer who Ruth is. The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz wasn't quick to judge Ruth. Instead, he seeks to meet her where she is at. So Boaz says to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Without hesitation, Boaz invites Ruth to be a part of his operation, to be a part of his community. So what Boaz has showed us as to be welcoming, we need to meet newcomers where they are at. You have no idea what may have brought somebody to come through our doors. And we won't know until we actually take the time 
to find out. We then need to invite them to be a part of our community. Don't just talk to them and go back to your group of friends, but invite them to be a part of your group. I will never forget the first time I rocked up at, at church, scared out of my life, uh, scared out of my mind, with my life feeling like it was in tatters. I sat down, and then a young couple sat down next to me in the service. And during that greet each other part of the service, they asked me, is this your first time at this church? I said, this is my first time at church ever. The service happened, and afterwards they invited me to get coffee with them at the little coffee stand that they had at church, and they asked so many questions and, and introduced me to so many different people around the church, to their friends, the senior minister, and a whole bunch of other people. I had never been treated like that by strangers before. I was gobsmacked. And I really, really wanted to come back the next week. And I sometimes wonder, what would have happened if that couple had decided not to say hello to me? If because they were either feeling uncomfortable about it or they just weren't feeling it that day, or because they had to rush off to talk to their friends afterwards or had to get something they had planned to. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. And neither is it for Ruth. Boaz also assists connecting Ruth into her new community by offering hospitality. At mealtime, Boaz, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Boaz could have just offered any sort of old scraps to feed Ruth with, but he didn't. He offered his food and his company. Hospitality, I feel, is becoming a little bit of a lost art these days. Obviously, the restrictions that we've had over the last couple of years have made things incredibly difficult, but I feel like it's been on the downward even before that. Inviting people to your home has become less and less the done thing. We have plenty of public places to go, with restaurants and cafes to outsource the cooking. And we have become to prefer a more neutral space. To relate to people. And I think it's because more and more we want to project an image to other people that while we're in public, that we have everything together and only let a very select few into our homes to see what our real life is really like. Another reason I think is also because we just feel the pressure, particularly with all the cooking shows, to be the most perfect caterers in the world and to have a house that, ent- that is set up for purely for entertaining, that everyone feels so comfortable in. But, we just, but that's not at all Boaz's concern. He just offered what he had and his company. I had the importance of hospitality modelled to me really early on in my Christian walk. The Bible study leaders that I was, the group I was a part of, really truly believed in opening their homes for people. So much so that they invited all of us as a group every week and served us dinner each and every week. Within a term or two, we became an incredibly close group. What the food may not have been gourmet, that didn't bother us at all. When Lisa and I last year were in college housing, we would have at least three or four families into our tiny little townhouse. It totally felt cramped, but everyone seemed to be having a good time and they still came back next time we invited them. Dak has been very blessed to have the cafe space. It does take the pressure off. It provides a space for food rather than at home, but it's still a neutral space for a lot of us. 
And it can never quite live up to that personal invitation of inviting someone to your own home. And what's really interesting is that when Ruth retells her experience with with Boaz, she says nothing about his house or the quality of his food. Instead, all she talks about is his kindness and grace. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to to her daughter-in-law. He is not showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Then Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. What Boaz's example highlights for us is that kindness and grace are key characteristics for what sets apart a Christian community. Every community group out there can have good people that do really good things, but only a Christian community that offers kindness and grace that embodies the kindness and grace of God. Boaz is able to be so kind because God was kind to him. He was able to offer grace because God was graceful to him. And it's the same with us. We are able to be a unique community, draw people in to connect with us because we have experienced God's kindness and grace too. We were all once outsiders. We have been brought in through Jesus because of God's kindness and grace. We have been welcomed We can welcome and invite others because God, through his son, has welcomed and invited us to be a part of his people. We love because he loved us first. Boaz's example is actually really based on what what God calls his people to do in Leviticus 19. God's people are called to treat foreigners as as if they are Israelites, to love them as they love themselves. And Jesus, too, calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we can just do that, then we will be a welcoming church that draws people in while they're going through their disruption and connects with us. Because we will simply stand out in this crazy, uncertain world. We'll foster an environment that under God's will could lead to a commitment. In other words, by being a community that is marked by God's kindness and grace, Christianity for those people will be plausible. As Ruth's story steps, from, steps to the commitment stage, we would think that it all happens at the huge, romantic, amazing moment at the end. Bo- Boaz is Naomi's family redeemer, and God's law requires either a brother-in-law or, or close relatives to look after the widow of their relative after their de- death to keep their name going and also their assets. Boaz, being the faithful and godly man that he is, doesn't just redeem Naomi and her husband's land but he takes Ruth to be his wife. This is such a beautiful image of Ruth officially, through marriage, becoming one of God's people. She is committing to Israel and Israel's God. Israel is committing to her. And all of this has been brought under God's will and sovereignty. God has been bringing his salvation plan through Ruth's line. Jesus, the Redeemer, will now be born from that line. It's an offer of kindness and grace through, through his sacrificial death on the cross to all who put their trust in him. Which is such a beautiful ending, don't you think? But actually, Ruth's commitment happens all the way back in chapter 1. Where Ruth said, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And this shows us that not all conversions are instantaneous, you know, day and night. Some are a longer process. 
but it starts with disruption, shaking up their worldview, helping her to see and listen to the advocates that God has placed around Ruth. And from that, she takes a leap of faith. Ruth makes a significant leap of faith in chapter 1. She didn't need to know everything, but she just knew enough. She knew enough to know that maybe perhaps becoming one of God's people and being among them with this new life that was before her was more plausible than the one that she was leaving behind. And so it is with many others who enter our door. They don't need to know everything, but they know enough to come through the door. And it's our job to help them see that the gospel is plausible and be with them even if it is a longer process. You never know how God could be using you to be a connection point. For someone in disruption, leaving behind, Boaz was used to bring Ruth into God's people to play a significant role in God's salvation plan. After I submitted my application form to go and work on Hamilton Island, I fortunately never heard back from them. Fortunately, because not too long after that, in another bout of disruption that I was having, I stumbled into my local Anglican church, scared out of my mind, ready to leave everything of my old life behind. And looking back 10 years now, I praise God for the people who took the time to connect me into the community, who showed kindness and grace. Because I don't think in anyone's wildest imagines back then, imaginations back then that anyone would have thought that it would lead to me standing here in Dapto preaching to you today. You just never know what God is going to do. So we need to be ready at all times with kindness and grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of kindness and grace that you have so filled us, our hearts with your kindness and grace that we are able to be great advocates to those that are in disruption, to help them see you more clearly and what Christianity represents to them and the hope that they find in Jesus. Help us to be a welcoming church that draws people in, to take the time and step out of our comfort zones, to meet people where they're at and offer hospitality. Lord, we pray that you use us to help people connect into your people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.